Oh my god, so funny. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, I'm delighted to be joined by another esteemed guest, two in one day. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Chronicles of Aguna, uh, Sophie from the Highbury Squad. How are you? I'm very well, Harry. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, looking forward to this conversation because we had a little bit of an exchange in the comments on another show the other day. We did. But you was in the comments, so we couldn't really discuss it properly. So I figured it'd be much better to do it this way. <laughs> um, but what's been happening? How's uh, how's things going? How's the hybrid squad cracking on? It's brilliant content. Thank you. And always appreciate your support. Uh, we're, we're doing well. We're, you know, we've grown a lot since May and um, just still trying to do a little... Uh, of, of different stuff outside of the game day analytics and tactical stuff. So check us out over there at Highbury Squad on YouTube and let us know what you think. Super Kev, of course, absolute legend. And being able to talk football with him every day is a gift. So, and speaking of gifts, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States. I'm very excited, Harry. You know us Greeks, we love our food. So tomorrow <laughs> is pretty much what you guys would eat on Christmas Day. Okay. is yep. uh, Thanksgiving. So we get the whole shebang tomorrow. The turkey, sprouts, stuffing, pigs in blanket, and even maybe a little bit of Greek Greek stuffing for the mm, proceedings. Greek, I've got to be honest, and, and don't kill me for this, but I'm not a fan of Christmas dinner. I think it's the most overrated meal. It really is. And it's I'm, really not healthy at all. No, g- give, me a, give me a barbecue any day. Um, over a time, I'm just not a fan of turkey, and I think if the the meat's wrong for me, then then it's all wrong. Yeah, can't beat a souvla, Harry. <laughs> exactly. We still exactly. we still have to do the uh, souvla king challenge between you and Jack Wilshire because Jack claims he's the souvla king now. He's married oh, into no a Greek chance. family. No so. chance. We'll have, you'll have to get that sorted, and I'll come and I teach will. him a lesson. He when might I'm in teach London, me a, we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, he might teach me a thing or two about football, but not on the sword <laughs> level. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> brilliant stuff. Uh, big hello to everybody who's joining us in the live comments. Big hello to those of you who will be uh, watching or listening to this back later on. Our audio listeners will be getting this on Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving uh, to you all. Hope you're enjoying uh, yourselves and spending some quality time with your friends and family. Just before we dive into the conversation, I just want to remind you guys uh, of how you can get involved in our giveaway. Because to celebrate the three-year anniversary of the Chronicles of Aguna in January, we're giving away two Arsenal shirts. Arsenal shirts from this current season of your choice. To get involved, you need to go over to our Twitter account, at Chronicles underscore AFC. uh, Retweet it subscribe to the YouTube channel and comment done in the comments and you will go into the draw, which will be made on Friday, the 3rd of December. And uh, we'll contact the winners. We'll ask you what shirt it is you want out of the three current shirts. We'll get your size and we'll get it sent out to you. So uh, looking forward to giving those away. Make sure you get involved. Very nice. I like that. Can I enter? 
Of course you can. Or am I exempt? No, you can enter. You can enter. <laughs> you can enter. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's dive into it because we was talking it through the comments kind of during the show that we did the other night with, with Lee Judges and, and Dan Potts and, and Mark and Graham. And we were kind of going down the route of, okay, we lost at Liverpool. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't great. But we saw some signs that it was better than it has been in previous years. Now, I know that's really hard to process when you think that we lost 4-0. But for me, going into that game, I had very little in terms of expectation. And so to come away with quite a comprehensive defeat wasn't a surprise to me. It wasn't something that has changed my over uh, kind of overriding feeling on where Arsenal are at at the moment. But I know you weren't impressed, Sophie, with the way that Arsenal collapsed in that second half. Mm-hmm. First of all, what was your take on the game and and has this changed your outlook on, on where Arsenal are at at present? No, not at all. And I think in some cases, my take on the game may have, and you, you know how this goes, can be mis- misinterpreted. I, I actually felt that we would do better against Liverpool, not because we would beat them. I initially called a loss and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to throw caution to the wind here and say maybe we could get something because of the trajectory that we're on, because of the confidence that we've built, because of the fact that we feel more of a team than we have done in previous seasons. And Part of that is the romantic side of me being uh, an Arsenal supporter and loving the club. And then the other part is thinking in order for us to really evolve in the Premier League, we have to start doing a little bit better at stadiums like this. If we can do it against City and Chelsea in the Cups and we could do it against Chelsea in the Premier League last season and we could give Liverpool go in Project Restart in the Premier League and beat them in the Community Shield, the next evolution for Mikel Arteta, now he has his team, is for us to stop getting bitch slapped against teams like Liverpool and have the same thing happen over and over again. Now, is it 10 steps back losing to Liverpool? No. But what I don't like is the manner in which we lost, i.e., Second half, we come out and it felt like we, some people would say, well, how can you say we collapsed? It, I felt like we did mentally. I felt like even the the argument with Jurgen Klopp and Arteta on the sideline was less about Arsenal. It was more about this ex-Evertonian captain and ex-Evertonian giving it a go against the Liverpool uh, manager who is beloved and Anfield was galvanised by that. I don't even think that had anything to do with him being Arsenal manager. I think it had everything to do with him being an ex-Everton captain. Really? And that, yeah. yeah, because, look, I think that happens a lot in football. And at the time when I was trying to process what was happening, I was like, go on, Mikel, get stuck in. Give it give it to him. Give it, give it some. Don't be a sideline manager and allow these managers who have won at the highest level to bully you. And then when I took a st- step back, I was thinking, oh, I forgot. Everton captain, Everton player, Liverpool, Everton, of course, huge rivals. And I felt like that had a lot to do with how the crowd reacted, how Jurgen reacted and how the players reacted. And some people think I'm talking out of my ass that that galvanised them, but it did, in my opinion. And I've spoken to Liverpool fans, I've spoken to some Arsenal fans 
everything changed after that in terms of we have a young team, Harry, and they're looking for guidance. And as much as they're mature, I thought there was naivety to us in that game against Liverpool. I think we have young players who are actually really mature and some of them are maturer than more mature than our older players. But the naivety is what kicked in against Liverpool. And that's the part that I had issue with. Not the fact that we lost, but it's the manner in which we lost. And it felt like we reverted back to even a Wenger or an Unai Emery type of Arsenal display. See, for me, with the whole kind of Arteta and, and, and Klopp thing, I, I think it certainly raised the decibel level inside the stadium. But I, at the same time, I don't want to criticise my manager for showing passion, for showing fight, for appealing for a decision that I think he was well within his rights to appeal for and for not allowing Jurgen Klopp to bully him because Jurgen Klopp comes storming over from his technical area to kind of make the point. And Jurgen Klopp actually alluded to it after the game. He said that he, um, he'd seen other teams, Atletico Madrid being the one he named, trying to get Sadio Mane sent off. And he felt like people were picking on him and that we were trying to do the same thing. Now, I, I actually liked it from Arte. I was like you at the moment. I was like, go on, give it to him, give it to him. <laughs> but even after I still, like, I get that it raised the decibel level. And, and I get that a lot of people feel that maybe that kind of swung the pendulum in terms of the game but I still can't go back and, and dig him out for it because I still don't think at in the heat of the moment you think about those things. I, I think it was a, a reaction from Mikel Arteta who was defending his team. I think Jurgen Klopp was also defending his team. I, I didn't like after the game that Jurgen Klopp chose to not draw a line under it and continue moaning about it. Whereas Mikel Arteta, in my opinion, showed a bit of class by saying he was defending his team, I was defending mine, that's it and not giving the press what they wanted, which was to make a story about it. So that next time we play Liverpool, there's a narrative going into the of game. Of course, but Harry Moore, they, they, he, he, Klopp went fishing and Arteta took the bait. He knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. Do you and think so? Yes, 100%. He's very, look, everyone thinks, Klopp is a great guy. He's like, everyone loves him. Even if you're an opposing fan, you think... I want my manager to be like him. On the sideline, he delivers a lot of shithousery. He knew exactly what he was doing. At that time, his team were on the rise. And that was the kicker that gave them that nucleus to really just take it to another level. I, I unlike a lot of people, I thought they toyed with us in the first half. A lot of people think we were in the game. No, we were teased. We, we were, you know, lured in. This is what great teams do. They give you this false sense of security. You think you're in the game, but actually you're not in the game. And here's why, because we have a trump card where we're going to totally move in a different, on a different plane to you. And you don't get that when you play against Burnley and Norwich and Tottenham and Aston Villa, and even a Leicester this season. But you do when you play Man City and Liverpool. And unfortunately for us, we kind of got sucked into that at that moment. And our manager got sucked into it. And when you have a young team that are trying, that are mature but naive, I I think that after that, they took on, a, a team takes on the persona of their manager 
And I think we took on a persona that we're not quite ready for yet. Yeah, that we can't, we can't quite back up yet. I know what you mean in that. I know what you mean in that, that we, we want to kind of give it and be this, you know, this really tough unit. And unlike, for example, the Invincibles who could act like that and back it up, we don't have that yet. And, And I totally, I totally get that. I think you're right. I think, and I agree with you also as well for what it's worth that we weren't as in control of that first 40 minutes or so as some people have made out. I, I do think that you, I think that you can never fully be in control of the game when you don't have the ball. Like you, you can't, you know, you can sit there and you can funnel people into certain channels and certain spaces, but it only takes one moment of brilliance to undo that. So I'm a big believer in the whole Pep Guardiola way, if you like, that you need to have mm-hmm. the ball to be completely in control of the game. Your opponent Absolutely. can't score if you've got the ball, right? Simple and, as that. And, and Harry, we were really poor, so poor off the ball last season. And this season, there's been improvements off the ball, especially against better quality teams. But when you face the best te- look, Chelsea, Liverpool, best teams in Europe right now, City are close, second or third, however you want to lay out. I, I mean, I think they're, I think Chelsea and Liverpool are far superior to the, the two giants in Spain, Bayern Munich, PSG, I mean, I don't think that's even an argument right now that they're the two best teams in Europe. So it's a huge challenge when you face that type of quality. You know, it's intense and it's intimidating. And I think for the first time this season, these young players who've come together and built a spirit, a new DNA and culture along with Arteta, for the first time, I think, felt intimidated and that's something they're going to learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just conscious not to kind of go too deep on Liverpool because we kind of done it, but also, yeah. you know, we started off by saying it doesn't really change where we feel that this team are at. But one of the questions that was put to me on a podcast that we recorded earlier today by one of our uh, subscribers, Pat Moyles, and I thought this was a fantastic question and I gave it an answer, but I don't think I did it justice in terms of how good the question is because we didn't have much time also i know that you will have an opinion on this and it will be a good opinion and so i wanted to put this to you as well and the question from pat was if you could draw a timeline of arteta and edu's plan where are we on it so i guess first of all do you believe that do you believe in the plan do you believe in the process can you see what it is at at least i guess is the best place to start well, you and I last season had a few conversations about, you know, I definitely went through a phase where I thought, is he is, is he the right guy? Maybe we should look at an alternative. No doubt about it. I've been very critical of him and I'm not going to sugarcoat that or hide it in any way, shape or form. I also believed and said categorically that every manager needs to build a team in his image in order for them to take on some type of personality, to have an identity. We see it with all the best managers. We even see it, okay, best managers like Conte, Pep, Klopp, Tuchel, uh, Simeone. Um, You know, you can go back to Bayern Munich managers. You can go back to even Allegri with Juventus. They had, even though they failed in the Champions League, they had an identity you knew They took on the persona of the manager. Even Graham Potter's Brighton have the persona of their manager. You could argue that for a while Wolves had that with Nuno. Um, Bielsa's Leeds have that. Doesn't matter what level you're at, a team is always 
the image of the manager. And I felt like this season we started to develop that a little bit more. Um, and I don't think losing to Liverpool means we've taken 10 steps back, Harry. But I do think losing to Newcastle or not getting a win against Newcastle is taking steps back. So in terms of the process, right now we're a better team than we were in the Premier League over the two previous seasons with Arteta. Why? Because he now has players who are more of his image, more of his liking. And it's not just about football, it's about personality, it's about character. A lot of the times I say Saliba is not an Arsenal player full-time yet because Arteta doesn't have issue with his talent, his issue with his character. There's a clash of personality. Same thing with Guendouzi. Same thing with Torreira. There's a reason why the Ozils of the world, the Sogradis, the Mustafis, have uh, and are no longer part of, of this team, even at the expense of losing them without any fiscal reward or ROI back to the club. So I have seen, as critical as I've been, I have seen an evolution. But I think that is also because they've been really smart and I do deserve some credit in the DNA and the culture of the type of player that we're bringing into the club now. It's much different to Mustafi's mentor, Ozil's mentor. I'm sorry, but even the Jenkinsons and the Callum Chambers of the world. Tommy Yasu looks like he's built differently. His DNA, his hard work. Ben White ridiculed for being a 50 million pound player, has a bad game, two bad games, comes back, puts himself out there. Nuno makes mistakes against Liverpool. That's going to happen for a young player. It's unfortunate that it happened to him in this game, but he kept trying. He kept fighting. He never gave up. And I don't think we've seen that with an Arsenal team for a long time. So I will give them credit for identifying those players in a time, Harry, where we can't recruit a different type of player because we don't have European football. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's clear that one of the things right at the top of the kind of checklist, if you like, when when Edu and Arteta went out in the summer and looked at players was was the character, was the attitude. And mm -hmm. for years and years, you know, if you think about since they've, they've come in, right, and since they've taken control, for years and years, we said we needed a top centre half. We went out and bought Gabriel, who I think is a very good centre half. And now we've brought in Ben White, who I think is also a very good centre-half. So you've got two very good centre-halves. We were screaming out for a, a central midfield player who could dominate games and control games. We went and got Thomas Partey. OK, that hasn't worked to the level that we'd have hoped it would because of injury issues, which when you look at his record prior to coming to Arsenal, you couldn't have foreseen. So... You know, that's what it is. But I think what Arsenal have done is addressed a lot of areas under Arteta and Edu that we in the past have gone, why haven't we done this? For for a good period of time, you know, we were sitting there for five, ten years saying we need a centre midfielder, we need a centre back, and we weren't mm -hmm. doing it. And now, at the very least, even if not all of them work out, we're at least doing what what clearly needs to be done. And, and that should give us some encouragement. So... I think we can agree that there is a plan, right? It's just whether that plan is going to get us to uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which you never really know until you carry it out, right? Exactly. And again, as I've thought to myself, eighth place finish, eighth place finish, you win an FA Cup. Okay, the FA Cup buys you love coupons, but eventually those coupons expire because Arsenal Football Club are going to be judged what they do in the Premier League. We know we're a great cup team. 
I mean, we haven't won the League Cup since 93. That would be nice this season. But does that buy Arteta more time again in the Premier League? Because I think the juxtaposition to this, Harry, is for so long, you you go on that run in our darkest days and when we're on our knees, we win four FA Cups in the space of, what, six years, 6.5 years? And then we're sold on this. This team can challenge. This team is good enough. We can go for it in the Premier League. But we've seen that that doesn't work. There's a difference between being in like a one-off playoff game versus 38 games in the Premier League and having that mental attitude and the ability to stay engaged for that period of time. I think that's what Arsenal need to work on. The mental engagement, the ability to stay in tune, the, the, you know, having the right players to do that. And the difference now between our team is we've fixed what's the problem at the back, even though we conceded four goals against Liverpool. That's okay, fine. That That's going to happen. Shouldn't, but it, it's going to at this stage. But now it's fixing the midfield still and being able to score goals. So the journey is still, we're still on the journey and we haven't come full circle with fixing the team to really be competitive in the Premier League. For me, that's where we're, we're going to be judged. How competitive are we in the Premier League? I think we've done a better job this season, but we're still in November and it's early. And I think the club are going to have to have some really smart decisions to make, especially with AFCON coming up and yep. losing certain players. It's going to be a challenge. For sure. Um, going back to the, the timeline thing about you know Arsenal's timeline, Arteta and Edu's timeline in terms of how they see this team and this club moving forward and getting closer to where it should be. I broke it down into kind of five areas earlier on when I answered the question initially. And I've looked back at this and thought, could I go a little bit deeper on this or or is that probably fair? And I guess the five areas I came up with to kind of share it with you, Sophie, and I'll Mm -hmm. add a little bit more context around what my point was. And then you can obviously chip in with your thoughts and, and, and share your views. I think that there was the first phase of it was getting rid of the deadwood. I think that was the first issue that Mikel Arteta had to deal with, not just getting rid of them because they weren't good enough as players, but getting rid of the attitude problems, mm-hmm. getting rid of the the culture that this had that had been allowed to breed at this club uh, for years and years that ultimately put us in a place where where we were nowhere near where we needed to be. So I think that was phase one. I think phase two was about then starting to build the squad. But I do recognise that you can't build an entire squad in one summer. You know, sometimes it's going to take two or three summers. I think as well, the problem we had was initially when we were trying to move out a lot of these players that that I refer to, we couldn't do it as quickly as we'd have liked, which then puts you on a back burner. It means that you're then kind of playing catch up. So for me, I looked at the summers and I said, I think we probably need two summers. I would have liked the one before the one just gone to have been the first summer in that rebuild phase, but Mm -hmm. I don't really think it was. I think this summer was the first one. I think next summer will be the second one. Then I think you can look at moving towards the top four and challenging and making a a sustained challenge for that position. Because I don't think, you know, people are talking about Man United right now being a million miles off it, I still think they have a good squad. And I still think if they appoint the right, even if it is an interim coach, you know, they're not a million miles away from it. I don't think anybody's breaching that top three of City, Liverpool and Chelsea. I think they're just in a league of their own. So I think the next phase after the the two kind of building summers would be 
to make a very strong challenge for the top four. And then the final step, which is the hardest step of them all, just because the landscape in the Premier League has changed so much in recent years, is to establish yourself as regular participants in the Champions League. I think we used to give Arsene Wenger a lot of credit for that, and rightly so, because it was difficult at the time. But I think it's even more difficult now. And, and when you think that Newcastle United, I know they're a million miles away from it today, but are going to eventually invest crazy money, just like Chelsea have, just like City have, and they've proven that money talks. I think it's going to get increasingly more difficult as the years go by. So that's kind of my timeline. Mm-hmm. I think right now we've, we've just finished the first summer of rebuild. I think that's where we are. So I'd say we're like, what, maybe 25% along it. And I know that's not where people want us to be. I know we should be further, but that's two fifths. Is that no, not 25%. Let's say two fifths of the way through it is how I see it. I'm shit at math. So don't ask me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I don't have that brain at all. Well, if there's five steps and we're on the second. Yeah, definitely. So 25. Uh, Let's go for that. Yeah. 20, 20. There it is. Harry, hasn't he's had five transfer windows now? So when he took over from Unai, then he took over in the December. So yeah, January that summer. Yep. Then the then following he... January. Yep. And the summer. Or is it four transfer windows? I think it's four. So he came in in December. So he had mm-hmm. the January window there. Then he the had summer. the summer. Then it was his first season. So he had the January and the summer again. So four, four transfer windows. I mean, that's time. What I would say, though, what I would say to push back is two of them were January windows, which I think are are notoriously difficult. I think it was during the pandemic, which made it, which added challenges as well. Mm -hmm. And I also think that he would have been able to do more in those windows if he was able to move out some of the crap quicker. I think the January transfer window for us was phenomenal. I actually said to Kev that it's one of the best transfer windows the Arsenal have ever had. Now, not from a fiscal point of view, because you end up giving away Ozil and Sogradis and Mustafi for absolutely nothing. And then you send all these players on loan. But what he was able to do that Unai never had the power to do, to do, even though he wanted to do it, was get rid of the cancer in the dressing room. Okay. And a lot of that was coming from Meza Ozil. And I, I'm, I know this from the Unai days from a very, very good source that 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 whole relationship was so difficult, and Unai felt very undermined, and and Ozil had the voices of a lot of players, and it was very difficult for him during that period, especially when he benched him and he didn't want to play him. But what Arteta had that Unai didn't was the support above. Yeah, without unequivocal support. And he was able, and every fan should be stoked about it, whether you're in the camp or not, that he was able to do that. Now, it cost us from a monetary perspective greatly, and that's unfortunate. However, risk-reward, it was the right thing to do at the right time. So that was the beginning. So that, to me, is one of our best transfer windows because now we feel like we have more of a team. We have players who want to be there. They're proud to wear the shirt and all that type of stuff. But they have had, like, the the Pablo Maris of the world, the Runnisons, the Willian deal. They've had some misses as well. But this transfer window has been more of a hit. And I think it's been done much more methodically and strategically. Yep. But now, Harry, what we need is we need more experienced players, right? 
we have to be able to do that. But how do you do that without being able to offer European football? I mean, yeah, we- I, I agree. I think that the thing with the Runasons and the, you know, the Pablo Maris and the Cedrics, I do feel like they're stopgap signings. I know that in, in Cedric and Pablo Maris' case, they were given relatively long contracts, which kind of raised a few eyebrows. But at the end of the day, Cedric coming in basically on a free transfer, sometimes you have to give that extended contract to get that player to join you. I think with Runason, it was, you know, what I would give them credit for is they've rectified a lot of those mistakes very quickly. You know, Willian didn't work. See you later. Runason, it's not working. See you later. I think they're, you know, they're, they're going to make mistakes. I think every club makes mistakes in the transfer window. The key is, can you make more sort of wins than, than losses? Again? They've also had to deal with disrespect in the transfer window. Unfortunately for our team, we were no longer respected in the in, in football from other clubs, from media, from agents. And I don't want to get into a Wenger conversation, but the £40 million plus one pound was the day Arsenal Football Club died in the transfer market. And I say that because you just can't deal with people in that manner. And we were a laughing stock after that. Because you could argue too, if we'd have made that signing, where would that team have been that season? So we've had to not only overcome our personality, our culture, our DNA on the pitch, we've also had to overcome it off the pitch. Because people thought they Good could point. take us for a ride. You give a deal, six figures to Kolasinac, to Socrates, to Mustafi. You, you've shelved an Angolo Kante deal to sign Xhaka. So you take all, the, all of these things into consideration. People think in a negotiating situation, they can pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah. And Good points. Good points. We've had to overcome that, Harry, and it's been difficult. And I feel like the first time we've seen that is in January and this summer. Yeah, no, no, they're valid points. They're valid points, certainly. And I was just laughing while, while you were speaking there, not because of what you were saying, but because everybody's correcting my maths in the chat. Two-fifths is 40%. So, yeah, I, in my mind, I was dividing the 100 by five and I got to 20, but amazing were two steps in, right? So, yeah, um, shocking maths from me, Don Saki there as well, uh, coming up with that too. Yeah, you're all brilliant and that's why you're here because my maths is terrible you wouldn't think i was a former banker would you i mean seriously yeah there we go if if we're giving a percentage then so if, if you're mm. giving a percentage on how far we are down the kind of line to getting to what the goal i believe the goal is being in the champions league every season i don't think unless we get a sugar daddy billionaire we're going to challenge for the title over you know a, a number of years I think right. even with Liverpool, right? Liverpool, a prime example. If Liverpool don't win the Premier League this season, they might never win it again under Jurgen Klopp. And we're talking about one of the best sides the Premier League has ever seen. And they'd finish up with one Premier League title. And that's it. Which proves that if you don't have the investment, it's very, very difficult. So I don't put Arsenal in that in that thing yet. I think the, the goal has to be to establish ourselves as Champions League competitors every single season so how far would you say we are percentage wise to to achieving that i think we're a long way to go and i just want to address one comment from the robots will eat you who i think hates me but that's fine um he said they he's loved saying you we earlier. signed uh, we signed ozil sanchez over after the 40 million plus one yes but how we we sold 
everyone on an FA Cup win saying that that was the team that could, and then we sign one marquee player every season. That's the difference. We all knew we needed a defensive midfielder and centre-backs, but what we kept going for was the sexy signing. started with Santi, then it was Ozil, then it was Alexis Sanchez, and that's kind of like the mantra that, that we had. So it's a really, there's a, there's a, yes, we sign those players after, but we also could offer them European football, whereas we can't do that right now. So in terms of percentages, Harry, I mean, I think we're far away from competing for the Premier League. Everyone thinks like Newcastle, they got their new owners, they're going to buy players, they're going to get a sexy manager, and before you know it, they'll be in the Champions League and they're going to do all this stuff. Football just doesn't work that way anymore. With the TV money, it strengthened other teams. And some other teams, like a Villa, they've got rich owners that are going to invest. You don't attract Steven Gerrard to be the manager of your team. Everyone says, oh, Aston Villa are a big club. Yeah, they're a big club, but they used to be a more renowned, bigger club. Money dictates everything in modern football. And unless we continue to invest in this team, um, we're going to struggle and we're going to fall back. But at the same time, also, we've got to have European football in order to be competitive with these other teams. Players want to play in the Champions League. They even want to play in the Europa League now. Without that, it's very difficult. That is very important that we get back into at least the Europa League this season. I've, I've said, you know, I've been a massive defender of Mikel Arteta, but I am very much of the opinion that if we don't get back into the Europa League come the end of this season, then serious questions need to be asked. And, you know, you you could talk about him potentially losing his job. I'm not going to shy away from that. But getting to the Champions League feels like, as I, and I go back to it, it feels like what the end goal for Arsenal is at the minute. Now, I know you want to get, exactly, because it brings the money in. You want to get to the point where you're challenging for the Premier League title. But I just, I look at the landscape right now and Liverpool have been incredibly well coached and have been incredibly shrewd and clever in the transfer market, which is why they are where they are now. It's why they've won a Champions League and a Premier League under Jurgen Klopp. But the point I'll always make to people when having this debate is, unless you invest what Chelsea and Manchester City invest over the course of a long period, you know, it, you're not, there's no guarantee you're going to sustain that. And, and Liverpool could, as I say, quite easily end this almost golden generation with Jurgen Klopp with just one Premier League title in the back. The flip side of that... On a Champions League as well. Yeah, and a a Champions League as well. But the point I'm making is is around the Premier League to kind of sustain that level of being right at the top. Mm -hmm. It's extraordinary what they've done. But the the general rule tells us that that's not going to happen unless you spend what Chelsea and City spent. The flip side is you can look at Man United and if you, you don't coach the team right and you don't appoint the right people, it doesn't matter what you spend, you could still fall off the wagon. But those two sides have been so good at identifying managers who are capable of doing what they need them to do. Chelsea gave Frank Lampard an opportunity. They'd thrown a load of money at him that summer and, and very quickly into that season, they said, no, it's not good enough and they moved him on. But they can do that because they've then got the money to come around the back and say, here you go, Thomas Tuchel, what do you need in the summer? We'll get that for you. Arsenal don't work like that. So that's why, for me, our expectation and ambition 
has to be realistic. And I feel like sometimes it's not. It isn't, but my my aspirations for the Premier League, Harry, is not to win it. It's just to be, let's start at the basics, right? Be competitive. Start there. And then from there, build consistency, which is why I think this 10-11 game un, uh, unbeaten run was so fundamentally important. It's not because I think we can win the Premier League, but just starting there for the Arsenal Football Club when we were rock bottom after three games at the beginning of the season, finish eighth, eighth, you know, lose a legendary manager, hire a manager, takes us to Europa League final, we get trounced, doesn't work out, an ex-player comes in, tries to steady the ship, we win an FA Cup. These are steps, but the step in the Premier League is just to be competitive and that competitiveness has to at some point evolve into getting a result here and there against your rivals. Beating Chelsea twice last season, huge. That's a step. Now, it might not be what Arsenal fans want to hear or what they want, but for us, compare, compared to where we've been with the t- type of plays we've had and the type of culture we, we've had to this, as much as I haven't been an Arteta fan, those results are key and they're very important, which is why I was disappointed that we lost in the manner in which we did to Liverpool not because I thought we could win again, just because I felt like those folding like a cheap lawn chair days were over. Yeah. But, but they're not, there's a long way to go. So Man United have opened the door to the top, the the fourth place. We don't know what's going to happen with them this season. You could say Antonio Conte's introduction to Tottenham could change that. Now I don't care if it's Tottenham. I'm a huge Antonio Conte fan. I don't care. It, you may look at that and think, ah, it's top. No, he's a good manager. He's a great manager. He's going to wear them out. And maybe he doesn't have the type of DNA of players there that are going to buy into what he's trying to do because they've been so enabled for so long. But that's going to be a problematic issue for us because he's going to make them better. If Pochettino comes into Manchester United, he's going to make them better. He may not have won trophies, but he's going to make them better. He's a good coach. He's exactly what they need right now. Pep Guardiola is going to stay at City for a little bit longer, Klopp until 2024, and then they're looking at maybe bringing Gerrard in. So there's a lot. You're 100% right. There's so much going on around us that we can't afford to continually be left behind. Yeah, we can't, but we, we also have to understand what's going on around us and accept that sometimes when we do fall short, it isn't just because we're so bad. It's because the standard has gone up and the other teams have been good at times as well. And I I think that's the point that from our Arsenal bubble, we sometimes miss. I mean, you know, you look at Chelsea, you know, and people were talking, I've seen people over the last week make a comparison with regards to kind of Lampard and and Arteta and how, uh, you know, Lampard didn't get given the time to, uh, you know, or, or that Lampard was sitting on a really, really great team and, you know, he he maybe should have been given a little bit longer or whatever. Look at how Thomas Tuchel's come in and turned that side around. It's, I don't think I've ever seen, and someone tweeted this yesterday and it was it really kind of rung true with me. I don't think I've seen a better 12-month coaching job than what Thomas Tuchel's done at Chelsea. And that's what you get when you spend the big bucks. I mean, there's people in the chat saying that we spent 150 million in the summer, et cetera, et cetera. We did. But we didn't spend it w- on Pulisic on, or on, yeah, <laughs> on that's what I mean. You know, on Lukaku or on Ziyech or on Mason Mounts or on you know 
It's we it's bought just... five or six players with that. Five or six players. Now, if you average that out, what's that per player? It's not a lot of money. And that's what people need to re- realize as well. There are levels of spending. If you can go and put a hundred million pounds on one player, you're in a different category to clubs that are spending that on a, on, on trying to rebuild I mean, we spent their entire 50 team. million on one player is a lot for Arsenal Football Club. That is a massive investment for a club like ours. The difference is that City will do that four, three or four times in one window. Chelsea will do that the same in one window. And that's where the rubber meets the road for us as a team. But Tuchel also, I mean, he's won the Champions League and the Super Cup. I mean, he's he was unlucky not to win the FA Cup. The, don't also tell me that a more experienced manager with maybe a bit more tactical prowess or philosophy can't also come in and elevate or change a team. Now, the talent of Chelsea and the talent of our team are very different, Harry. You know, how many of our teams get, how, how many of our players get into the Chelsea squad right now? Maybe two? If that, if that. And their goalkeeper, you talk about our goalkeeper. The, the, the purchase of Mendy for me is one of the single best transfers in the last 10 years in the Champions League, in, in, in the Premier League. Doesn't get talked about enough because he's a goalkeeper. But my God, he's made a difference. And this is where it starts, right? Ramsdale's made a difference. Man of the match after conceding four goals. That tells you about the player. What we have to do now is get back into Europe so we can attract those other players. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely the first port of call. Uh, Just for the last sort of 10 minutes or so, let's take some of your questions uh, from the live chat. We'd love to hear from you. Get involved. uh, Fire us over some questions uh, while... Uh, you're doing that. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. It makes the world of difference. We've only got 40 likes on the board, but there's over 150 of you watching us live right now. So there's no excuse for us not to get that up to as close to 100 as possible. So like, 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 subscribe. You know the drill by now. Subscribe to the Highbury squad as well. Uh, which you can do by clicking on the link in the title. I've tagged it in the title. So you should be able to just click that and it should open you up onto the Highbury Squad page and you can subscribe. So get involved there. Uh, right. Let's see. A lot of debate about the spending thing going on in the comments. <laughs> I'm the moment. sure. <laughs> um, you know, people sort of saying that we've, and pointing to examples of players that we have made big investments in. One of the ones that's coming up is uh, Nicolas Pepe. And, and And I get that, but we're talking about clubs that do that every window, every summer. I mean, we've, we're still suffering from the fact that we spent 70 million pounds. We still owe, we're Pepe. still paying on that. Exactly. We're still paying it. It's, it's crazy to think that as much as the Cronkies talk and as much as they sit there and, and, and put their PR spin on it, that they will ever be willing to pump in the funds that Abramovich has put in at Chelsea, that Sheikh Mansour puts in at Manchester City that the Saudis are going to eventually put into Newcastle. Football mm-hmm. is changing. The landscape is changing. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse for Arsenal to be mediocre. And, and that as a fan base, we should say that, OK, this is always acceptable. But what I am saying is it should play a part in our views and it should help to make up our views. And I think too much of the time it's completely overlooked and and it's you know there is a correlation between the most successful teams and the teams that spend the most money always has been always will be yeah and also you know chelsea make a 72 or 70 you correct me harry a 72 or 75 
um, million pound mistake in goal, right? Um, yeah. But they can rectify that really quickly by going and spending the same. We can't fix the 72 million signing of Pepe and rectify it like right away. We just can't do that. That's a team. Teams can bounce back from bad signings. That's the other thing too. Not only can they make great signings, but they can bounce back from making poor signings. Whereas you know, we can't. Now, are we going to ever get that ROI on Pepe? I don't know. No, we probably won't. We no. probably won't. No. And and that's a lot of the reason, right, that Raul Senlay is no longer at the club. That was one of the deals that KSE sent Tim Lewis into scrutinise. And that was one of the ones that was certainly on the agenda when he when he was doing that piece of work. Um, Guna for Life says, do you think Xhaka will walk back into the team? Now, I've had countless discussions on this channel with people over Granite Xhaka and and what I believe to be his importance to this squad. Um, I think with Thomas Partey's ongoing fitness issues, I think that he becomes even more important than he would be normally. But do you think that when he comes back to fitness that Mikel Arteta will say, yeah, you, you're part of my team and you got to walk back in? 100%. Agreed. And I think it's... I think Arsenal fans need to kind of expand their universe a little bit in thinking about this. We went on a run and everyone kind of forgot about Xhaka. And a lot of people came at me and said, oh, so what do you think now? Are we still missing Xhaka? I got that every day. (laughs) (laughs) I would say against Liverpool, we kind of did. There's certain games where he's going to be able to apply himself. Now, the unfortunate thing with Xhaka is that his mistakes have been so glaring. That's all people remember and that's all they think about. But when it comes to moments where you need some leadership on the pitch... He can provide that even though he's also a huge liability because he could go in two-footed and get sent off against City or he can, you know, try and grab someone by the throat against Burnley. His mistakes are massive. Crystal Palace, you know, towards the end of the season, trying to qualify for the Champions League. These are glaring issues. But in a team where we're evolving and we're trying to get there, do you utilise him until the summer and just you know, put band-aids on things. Whereas we know he's not a long-term maybe answer anymore, Harry. You know what I mean? I think that's the difference sometimes in the thinking. He's n- We're not saying he's a great, the greatest midfielder or the greatest player, but for this particular Arsenal team, can he still offer something in games when the season is still so long? I say yeah, yes. Yeah, I-, I think so too. And I think this is going to piss a lot of people off. But if you ask me to rely on him, I had to pick either him or Sambi Lakonga right now to rely on week in, week out to deliver a certain level of performance. I would pick Granite Xhaka because I still think that people like Lakonga are a little bit raw and are still not quite where they need to be. I also think it's unfair to put Lakonga in that position. And there's mm-hmm. a fine balance that needs to be found as a manager between giving somebody minutes so that they can develop, but also doing what's best for the team in the short term. Because football is a very short term thing now. There is no time for somebody to develop. There is no time for a fan base to sit and wait or a manager, in fact, to sit and wait for a player who might come good at some point. You need the results today. And a great coach finds that balance. I don't think it's always possible to find that balance. I think the lack of Europa League football this season has really killed us in that sense. It's games that Martinelli would be getting. It's games that Balogun would be getting. It's games that... Lakonga would have been playing, you know, had Xhaka been fit, Lakonga would have been playing in. And all of a sudden, this young midfielder has been thrust into the spotlight. 
He looked out of his depth at Liverpool. I think there's been a couple of games this season where he's been a little bit naive in possession. And what I'm scared of is over the course of the season, we'll kill the kid just yes. because people don't want to see Xhaka in the side. And also, Harry, I know a lot of people talk about, but we've been playing much faster without Xhaka. We've been, really? Maybe for 35 minutes against Tottenham, we did. For um, mm, at least 60 minutes against Villa. For half, he played for, against Tottenham, didn't he, until for, he went off injured. Yeah, so. for 40 minutes mm. against... Um, yeah, and that was a disgraceful tackle as well, by the way, um, that, you know, where we lost him. And then against Leicester City. So, and against Liverpool... We weren't playing fast football. We we weren't. In fact, Aubameyang and Lacazette were so isolated, things were slowing down. Our midfield couldn't keep up. So this argument that we've been playing faster, quicker, we have in spurts, but we're still not super fast, super quick on the break. Maybe I'm talking out of my rear end here. No, but I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, so this is, this is why I think he can, every player is going to play a part still if you're if you are hired by the club and you're being paid wages who knows i dare say this out loud kalasinach could still play part in certain games if there's injuries callum chambers could still let's hope that gabriel and ben white are fit for the rest of the season what if god forbid there's an injury to ramsdale you're going to have to call on leno and if it's not him and he goes in. there's so many parts to this still especially when we're still in the fa cup the league cup and the premier league as well these we're going to need every player and i'm not saying he's the best but i think he can still bring value to the team when needed yeah i, I completely agree with you I, I think his part this season is not done yet and uh, and he like a lot of the other senior players at the club if we are going to reach our goals and our objectives this season are going to be key it's as simple as that um just final question we'll take this one from will dobson uh do you think odegaard will improve given time he's young but how much time do we have his form's been a bit questionable lately so um i'm not panicking just yet on odegaard but wh where are you on him i think he's the type of player a lot like pepe who needs to play he needs to feel the game. He needs to feel part of the game. This is someone who is captain of their international team. You know, he's been training with some of the best players in the world during Real Madrid. When he was on loan at Real Sociedad, he was one of actually the best creative players in La Liga, let alone at Real Sociedad. The dude can play football. I think what's happened is Arsenal have been so desperate to find a best starting 11, to have an 11 to go to. And... That formula kicked in and we went on a run and Arteta stuck with that. And I think Udegaard was a victim of that. And against Liverpool, I would have preferred a ball holder like Udegaard versus a ball carrier like Emil Smith-Rowe. That's where Arteta's going to earn his crust in the coming weeks, is really identifying the opponent, the tactics versus who you think your best 11 is as much as we've wanted to have a best 11 Harry he's quality he's a good player I think he's been a bit unfairly targeted he hasn't really had the opportunity to play but you could argue when he came on was it against Leicester for 20 minutes he he was great you know when he's been asked to to come on he's he's good and I I think he's going to be an important play for us once the rest of the season kicks in don't write off Udegaard just yet 
I was on mute there and I went to talk. No, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think that he is um, he is clearly a very talented individual. Um, I agree that he's struggling without sort of being a major part of the team. Coming in and out is is obviously a bit of an issue. And and it, it's difficult, isn't it, to come on as a player with 15, 20 minutes to go. Anyone that I've spoken to that's played the game at a professional level will tell you how difficult that role is. Uh, over the years, there's been a few players who've made careers out of it, and that's a very specific skill set. But it is generally a difficult role to play and a difficult thing to do. And It is. And Harry, I don't like playing hypotheticals, but I do think in that Liverpool game, he could have unlocked a pass, a key. I think he was one of the ingredients that was missing. And I think we missed a beat on that front. But I don't criticise Arteta for going with the hand that's hot. You know, but coming out of the international break, I think it was a little bit different. That's- rolling with that hot hand. Um, but I'm not going to criticise him for picking the players that had, you know, gone on a run for so long. I don't think you can do that. It's not kind of fair. Yeah, exactly that. I think a lot of us would have looked at that. Had we been in Mikel's situation, we'd have looked at the team and gone, I can't really change this now. It is exactly. it is working. And imagine the criticism that would have come his way had he changed it and it gone the other way. So, no, completely agree. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Uh, so thank you so, so much for jumping on. Really, really appreciate it. Just remind everybody how they can find the Highbury squad. Thank you for having me, Harry. Always a pleasure. Keep um, up the great work. You're doing amazing stuff. And I'm enjoying listening to some of your commentary. I, I mute the TV and I put Harry on sometimes <laughs> when I got my my, um, my Europa League and stuff on, as, especially. Thank and, you. And also the some of the the championship and league League One stuff as well. So keep up keep up the great work at Soccer Diva on Twitter at Highbury Squad. Check us out on YouTube. Give us a shot. If anything, just for Super Kevin Campbell. So there you go. <laughs> Check it out. Make sure you get involved. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and football-related content. Until next time, take care and uh, all the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler. You're listening to Harry Simeon.